the book of James, the New Testament version of Proverbs? Or maybe is it something more? Who wrote the book of James? Who is it for? This week on the Midweek Move, we're beginning a new series into the book of James. But before we do, we need to get into the background of who wrote this book and why. Welcome to the Midweek Move, the podcast where we examine the scriptures line by line, verse by verse, and we ask ourselves, what does it actually mean? Today, we're going to be getting a new series on the book of James. I'm really excited about it because over the next several weeks, myself, Pastor Scott, and a variety of guests are going to be really digging in to this book. Now, unlike previous uh, books that we've gone through where we did a whole chapters at a time, we're actually breaking this up a little bit differently, where in one episode, we're going to be really taking our time to dig in through a just a portion of the chapter, and then we'll wrap up the second half of that chapter the following week. Our hope and plan is that this gives you guys more of a deeper dive into the discussion, and we want to hear from you guys as we take this journey. What are your thoughts on the scriptures we're talking about? How have they challenged you? How have they encouraged you? Reach out to us, mediahub at thbstreetport.com, or on our Facebook page, look for Midweek Move. That being said, today, we're going to do some background conversation. We're going to figure out who wrote the book of James and why. And we're doing this for a very specific reason. You guys have heard us say this several times at the show, but if we don't know the context of the verse, we'll be conned by the verse. And so what's the context? Let's get into it a little bit. So the first question we have to answer is, who is James? We know in the first verse of the, the book itself, James identifies himself as a servant or a slave of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. But who is this James? Throughout history, there's been kind of like two prevailing thoughts on about who this James is. The first is James, the son of Zebedee, who we hear about in the four Gospels. The problem with this, though, is that if we look at the projected writing of the book of James and the martyrdom of James, this doesn't really work out since this James was martyred in 44 AD, putting it before this particular book was written. So if it wasn't James, the son of Zebedee, who was it? The second person often referred to, the one that is historically associated as the writer of this book, is James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, we are introduced to this particular James in Mark chapter 6 and verse 3. Now, there's some people who they feel like perhaps that it was actually more of a cousin, but that rendering of the Greek is really just out there and doesn't make sense at all. This is legitimately the half-brother of Jesus, that particular James. And when you look at this uh, particular James, it's interesting because he's not just the half-brother of Jesus, but he took over as the head of the church in Jerusalem. And he led that during some turbulent times. So where's the proof that this is James, the brother of Jesus? Well, there's a couple of proof texts we have. First off, when you look at the description of this James in Acts 21, Galatians 2, and you compare it to the historical description of James the Just, who is the James, James the brother of Jesus, they're in harmony together. On top of that, another item that strengthens this belief is how James's speech in Acts chapter 15 is very similar to the tone of throughout the entire book of James. So taking these two things into account, the historical context, the, the, um, the, the tradition, 
along with just the reading of the context, how he spoke in uh, Acts chapter 15 versus his writings here, it's all in harmony and leads us to a pretty good solid case that this is James, the brother of Jesus. Now the question becomes, when did James write this book? When did this become a thing? Now again, if we're putting this squarely on James, the brother of Jesus, we know that it has to at least predate 62 AD because that's when history records that he was martyred. So when? Well, scholars examining the book have noted a few things. First off, the letter heavily leans into conversations about Jewish culture and the way that the Jews interact in the revelation of Jesus as the Messiah. The second thing that's noted in this particular book is that there is a noticeable lack of conversation about dealing with Gentiles and Judaizers. The third thing is the book seems to promote a simple church mindset where leaders are simply called teachers. So these aspects strongly suggest that this is a very early writing in the church. Potentially 45 and 8 and 50 AD is a time frame that this was written. If this is the case, if this is this is really exciting to me when I discovered this. If this was legitimately written between 45 and 50 AD, guys, this is the very first New Testament writing. The very first. Get that, like, like, let that sink in. That is that is amazing to me. The very first New Testament writing was a letter written by the brother of Jesus. But why? Who is he writing to? The opening of the book tells us that it was written to the 12 tribes, specifically the 12 tribes that were scattered among the nations. Now, this is interesting because this vocabulary tells us that he's speaking to Jewish individuals that were part of what this is called the diaspora. Specifically, though, thanks to uh, a later verse in the book of James, it's not just Jews, but Jewish believers in Jesus. These are Messianic Jews. Now, when you look at history and look how things played out, more than likely this is what happened. See, at the early days of the church, Rome became very angry with Christianity, especially um, after Stephen did what Stephen did. And they began to arrest many Christians. In fact, many Jewish leaders would go in and just arrest Christians simply be for being Christians. Even though these are their brothers and their cousins and their even their fathers and mothers, these were people who, in their minds, had disobeyed God. They were heretics, and they were being pulled out for their heresy. And Rome was all about it because they needed to get control of the situation. So amidst this, you had many Jewish Christians leave, scatter across the land for safety's sake. These were all people who lived in Jerusalem while James was the leader of the Jerusalem church. So the people he's writing to isn't just random Christians. It's not just people who maybe he doesn't know. Potentially, these are people who James personally knew that at one point in time, he was their spiritual leader, their pastor, their, their apostle, if you will, of the time frame. This is who is James is writing to. Now, why is he writing to them? Why is he writing to these individuals? Again, these are all people who were originally part of one community. Now they're dispersed. They're scattered around. They're separated from their original home into their original community, their original faith community. And as a result, they're having to reestablish. 
Just because they're not there in Jerusalem doesn't mean that they are no longer Christians. They they know that they that they have the revelation of Jesus Christ and and they want to serve him, they want to honor him, so they're setting up new communities of faith wherever they are. But as they do this, as they establish these new communities of faith, they are disconnected from the apostles. They are disconnected from leadership. And reading through James, we discover that many problems has arisen in this early church. One of the problems is that many were dealing with various forms of persecution from both religious groups and even the rich at the time. So with this persecution, there's some struggle of their faith. They're not sure how to stand, how to do things anymore. They're, they're starting to question, is it worth it to continue this journey, this, this profession of faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior? A second problem has risen is that many found their faith becoming more superficial and based on formality than an actual relationship with Jesus. And this is a natural outgrowth of people who are dealing with persecution because they're like, well, you know, yeah, I believe in this Jesus thing, but it's just, it's just a formality. It's just, you know, I just do this or that. It's not a big deal. It doesn't have to affect my daily life. And so they're going from it being a relationship with Jesus just to being a, a thing that they do. The third aspect we see throughout the book of James is that there seems to be some communities that begin to develop some discriminatory practices that highlighted a lack of love, which was leading many to become bitter in their speech and attitude towards others in the fellowship itself. They begin to speak ill of each other. They begin to prefer other people for perhaps their position in the community they were in, perhaps the wealth they had, the favors they could do for them, rather than having grace and peace for each other because simply they were in the same faith community, because they were individuals who God genuinely loved and cared for. So James is hearing these stories. I need you guys to picture this. Here's James. A large portion of his of the people he's poured into have scattered across the land, trying to escape persecution. These are people that he's loved. These are people that he, in the early days of the persecution, he did life with. They, he hid with. He prayed with. He saw them through so many things. And these are people who profess faith in Jesus a man who he himself at first didn't believe. Remember, in the early days, Jesus, his brothers and sisters did not believe that he was the Messiah. James was one of those ones who did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. And after the resurrection, he has this shaking revelation. I grew up with the Messiah. I myself denied who Jesus was. We all talk about how Judas denied Jesus. We don't talk about the fact that James denied Jesus, and he grew up with Jesus. And so he has this shaking in his core where he goes, no, my brother was the Christ. My brother was the Messiah. And beyond that, he calls himself a servant or a slave of God and, what does the scripture say? Lord Jesus Christ. He's not just calling Jesus his brother. He's saying that he is subservient to Jesus, who is the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, and his Lord. 
the humility and love that he has for Jesus now. And he's leading community. They're now professing the same thing, but now he's seeing their faith in someone who he loves and cares about being shaken and thrown apart because they're simply just disconnected. So he's like, man, this we, we have to firm up some things, guys. We have to firm up our belief. We have to make sure we're okay. We're going to make sure we're humble and that we have grace for each other, that we have true love for each other in this community. Because right now, amid all the persecution, amid all the things that are taking place, we have to have love for each other for various reasons. And we're going to get into that as we get into this conversation. As we move forward, it won't be hard for us to make modern-day applications to all of this conversation. It won't be hard for us to go, man... Look at the things happening in the world today. Recently here at the Healing Place, we just wrapped up a whole series about called Jesus Church and what the early church looked like. James lived that out, but he also saw the shaking of it. He saw where it almost fell apart. And this letter that he wrote is one of the reasons that the church did not fall apart amid tremendous persecution. I want to encourage you guys today that if you have a shaking in your faith, if you're challenged by certain things that are taking place in your faith community, in your church, or in your region, lean into this book over the next several weeks with us and allow Holy Spirit to do a work in your own heart and maybe share this out. We're putting these out weekly. So invite some people with you. Invite your neighbors, invite your friends. If you're a pastor, we invite you to to take part of this. Like, listen to this and share it with your community. You don't have to say it's even from the healing place, the midweek move. Pastor, you could own this all on your own. We don't care. Why? Because we believe the church needs this. This is the word of God, and we're just walking through this with you. Our heart and our passion here at the healing place is to see people be who God created them to be, to know what he's saying, to do what he's called them to do. But that can't happen in a church that's fractured, that's shaken to the core, and has lost a love for each other. So let this series bless you and encourage you and challenge you. Take this journey with us. If we can answer any questions, reach out to us, mediahub at thbstreetport.com. Or find us on Facebook. Just look for Midweek Move. Or if you want to, get in touch with us at The Healing Place. That's thpshreveport.com. There will be links in the description down below to make this easy for you guys. And, and get in touch with us. And let us know how we can pray with you, how we can encourage you, how we can help you guys take your next step. So, all that being said, make sure you hit the subscribe button on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast catcher. And... Be ready to receive next Wednesday as we dig deep into the first part of James chapter 1. Have a great week, guys.